We've been in a series called This New Year, 2018, three weeks into 2018, and I hope it's going well for you. But this new year, we talked about, first of all, this new year, I have a living hope. The fact that we can look at this year coming with hope because a living Savior holds our future. And maybe as you consider 2018, you have some fears, you have some concerns, or maybe you're just excited about the year coming. The good news is wherever you find yourself in the perspective of this year, a living Savior holds your future, and we can trust Him with this year. We also talked about how this new year, I can be holy. And I know that holiness wasn't really a topic that's talked about often today, but how important it is that we understand God has called us to be holy people, that a life of hope really should live or lead to a holy life. And especially as our culture continues to become increasingly hostile toward Christianity, what the church needs to increase in is not hostility, but holiness, of being an image of God in the context in which we live. In fact, that's something that we saw in First Peter, who has been kind of the, the, the one in giving us instruction as Christians in the book of First Peter. In fact, I would encourage you to grab your Bibles or your smart device if you have uh, a tablet or a, a, an iPhone or whatever. We use the, the free Bible app out there called the YouVersion Bible app. And if you happen to have that app, you can uh, go use that app directly. Go to menus and go to more. And then events should be one of the options there. And you can follow along with our notes right there just by finding Neighborhood Church. But in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, and we used this passage a little bit last year, last year, last week, seems like a year ago, it was a really busy week, uh, this, this past week, he, he says this, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. A little bit further down, he says that we are a people of God. The reason I wanted to bring this passage to your attention is to help us understand that our identity, that our purpose, that our citizenship, that our sense of belonging all come from our relationship with God, not our relationship in this world. This is something that we need to understand clearly, especially as Christians, that our sense of identity, purpose, citizenship, value, belonging, all of those things come out of our relationship with God. That's why when you came to that place of confessing Christ as Lord, all of a sudden a lot of things clicked for you as you began to find your sense of purpose and identity and value in Him and your sense of belonging in Him. Now, but we do live in a real world, don't we? But we don't draw our cues from here. And I know some of you are great patriots, and I love this nation, and I'm not, I'm not here to bash America. All I'm saying is, while I live here, I live under the authority of God. And that is something that we have to help give us a new perspective on how we look at how we live within the context of our real world here today, that our role before God and our relationship with Him should give us a different perspective of how we live. Not making life about ourselves, but making our life really very much about living God's ways and His will within the context of our world. And I think that Jesus sums it up best when He was having a conversation with His disciples. And here's the backstory: The disciples were arguing about who was going to be the greatest. So we know that in this band of, of 12 men that Jesus handpicked, they're all wanting to kind of be the greatest. And, and I know that's something that's in, within all of us. We want to be the most important. We want life really to be about us. And that's where the disciples were wrestling and, and arguing. And, and in that context, Jesus says this in Mark 10, 42. You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them. 
and their high officials exercise authority over them, not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many." We follow that same thought as Jesus again shares why he came and under whose authority he is ministering. And in John chapter 6, verse 38, Jesus says this, For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. Now, we have to understand something about Jesus. While he lived in this world, he knew where he came from. He knew he came from heaven. He knew who he was, the Son of God, sitting at the right hand of the Father. And he knew who sent him here, that the Father had commissioned him to come. And so he submitted completely in God's plan and his purposes for his life while he was here on earth, even when those plans and purposes took Jesus to places that physically he did not want to go. Remember in the Garden of Gethsemane? He was about to face the cross, and he knew that, and the burden of that was on him. And what was his prayer? If there's any other way, God, let this cup pass from me. In other words, the cross does not sound very comfortable or convenient right now to me. So if there's any other way you can do this, God, now's the time. But nevertheless, your will, not mine. And Jesus knew his place in God's purpose and plan for his life while he was on earth. And he didn't live life here as a native resident, submitting completely to the culture around him. But rather, he lived here as an ambassador. Now, what's an ambassador? Basically, an ambassador is a resident representative of another government or sovereign. All right, so we have ambassadors from other nations who dwell here in our states. But they represent and have the authority from, and where they live is presided over the government from which they come. So when Jesus came, yes, he lived within the Roman Empire. He lived within the the governmental powers that were there, but he was here as an ambassador, knowing that he was sent, not from this government, but from a sovereign God who sent him. So he came here as an ambassador, but he yielded his will to that of the Father. And so the key operative word for Jesus when his ministry was submission. Submission. Now, I know submission is a word we don't like. In fact, I guarantee you this right now. You're not going to like this message. Okay? This is your chance to get up and walk out. You're not going to like this message because when we talk about submission, there is something within every one of us that says, I'm not going there. I'm not going there. Submission does not feel good. It's not for me. That's not the American dream to submit. Okay, I get it, and you're not going to like this message, but this is necessary. I don't like going to the dentist, but it's necessary. Because I go to that dentist, he scrapes on my teeth and makes my gums bleed, and all kinds of horrifically terrible things happen, right? But it's for my benefit. So when we talk about submission, it's a lot like going to the dentist's office. None of us look forward to it unless you're kind of that way. And if you look forward to it, we'll pray for you. But we know we need it. This message is that kind of a message. Not what we want to hear, but something we need. That's why Jesus demanded it from his disciples. That's why Peter picked up that mantle and led with it. Peter, the one who really kind of wanted to tell Jesus what to do, right? Remember that? 
when Jesus was talking about going to the cross and Peter says, no, nah, that's not happening. Peter's the one who really learned this lesson the hard way, being with Jesus, that it's about submitting to a plan that's not my own. Paul got this. So none of us likes this, but it's necessary. So what does it mean? When I take the word submission just itself, I, rather than looking it up in the dictionary, which is always the easy thing to do, right? I broke the word into pieces. There's two parts to this word. There's sub and there's mission. So the prefix sub basically means something that is situated under or beneath or a secondary, all right? So a subordinate would be somebody who is secondary to the ordinate, all right? Or, for example, a submarine. We get it. It's something that is beneath the surface. So sub means to place yourself beneath. Mission, we pick that word just by itself. Mission means an important goal or a purpose that is usually accompanied by a strong conviction, a calling, or a vocation. So we have this sense of a, of a strong purpose or a goal, Okay, so when we take the word sub to be placed under and mission, a strong goal, we come up with this kind of definition. You're not going to find this in Webster's, but here it is. Submission means placing yourself under the purpose of another. So if you're a Christian, that means you're following Christ. You have placed your purpose underneath God's purpose for you so that your mission is yielded to his greater mission, all right? So submission means just placing yourself under the purpose of another. So in relationships, husband, wife, coworker, boss, in the church, what we recognize is that when we're entering this relationship, we're to lead with submission, which means I am placing myself under the purpose of another. And the Bible talks about submitting one to another frequently. Okay, we don't have time to read all the verses that hint towards submission because there's so many of them. But here's the deal. When it comes to followers of Jesus, you cannot fully live for yourself and fully live for the Savior. It's just not going to happen. You cannot fully live for yourself and live for Jesus. In fact, he said it this way concerning money. Remember the teachings about money? Jesus said you can't serve both God and money can't do it. Same thing happens with our own purpose, our own mission. You can't fully live for yourself and fully live for your Savior, because here's what happens. One of those has to become under the purpose of another. And here's a little spoiler alert, all right? Jesus is never going to place himself under your authority. He is Lord of Lords and King of Kings. So when it comes to us, we're either living for ourselves which we like to do because there's something within all of us that desires that, or we're living for our Savior. You can't have it fully both ways. And this is what Peter is teaching about when he comes to this passage in 1 Peter chapter 2. It's something that we need to hear because as followers of Christ, we are called to submit ourselves to God and because of that, then to submit ourselves to others. But just that word submission causes, I know, the hair on your neck to rise and you want to have your argument right now. Well, you don't know that person. You don't know what I'm going through. You don't have the right to say this to me. You don't have the right to tell me what to do. Okay, there's something within us. You know what it's called? <laughs> the sinful nature that just wants to be boss of our own lives. But as we will see this morning, this new year, we can submit. This new year, I can submit. And Peter's going to show us in his letter to Christians how to do that. And he gives us the example of perfect submission of Jesus. 
And I have to remind you, when Peter was writing this letter to Christians, they were living in the Roman Empire, and it was not pleasant for Christians to live in the Roman Empire. The emperor was considered God. And to worship anybody but the emperor would cost you possibly your life. And Christians knew they would only worship the one living, true God, right? So they were suffering persecution, intense suffering, especially under the emperor Nero, who was one of the most nutty, absolutely insane emperors of the day, who, who totally harassed and destroyed Christians just for entertainment, and it's in this context that Peter speaks about submitting to government and authority. So it's, I know it's like this is not an easy message. It wasn't easy for the people that Peter was talking about to hear this because they're going, yeah, but you don't know Nero. Wait, you do know Nero because, Peter, you're living in this time. So he should have understood what it felt. In fact, guess how Peter died? A martyr. He died because he would, would yield his life ultimately to the lordship of Christ, not the emperor. And that is why he died. So he gets this sense of submission, and so does Jesus. So this morning, we're going to learn that I can submit. So at the end of chapter 2, so if you're still at First Peter, at the end of chapter 2 and kind of going into chapter 3, Peter gives us a bunch of, uh, of relationships. And in every one of these relationships, he charges us to submit. And so we'll see that he'll, he'll speak of governments and human authorities. He will speak about marriages. He will speak about your workplace. He talks about slaves and owners. We understand we, we would probably talk about more like bosses and employees, right? He talks about this within the context of the church, and he urges us to be submissive. But why? Let's look at it. First Peter chapter 2, verse 13. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor's or emperor as supreme authority, or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family believers. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Slaves, in reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to your masters, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh, for it is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they are conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called. Because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. Very quickly, and you'll see these listed in the notes if you're using our Bible app, if you went online and got our PDF notes. Here's just some things he gives briefly of why we should submit, why we should submit. And then I want to give us the premium example of Jesus. All right? So here's some quick reasons why. We should, we should submit because we want to honor God. The believers should submit to honor God. He says it in verse 13, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake. I think this is interesting. It's not submit yourself for your own sake. It's for the Lord's sake. Why in the world would Peter say submit to the emperor, submit to these, these tyrannical governors for the Lord's sake, right? It's because in honoring the authorities that God has placed, we are honoring him. And I know this is hard to hear because we all want to argue this, but we have to understand that the, the, the governments and the leaders that are in position are in position because that is what God is allowing. 
All right? So some folks say, yeah, but what about Hitler? Well, yeah, what about Nero? Okay, we, we get it. Everybody in this kingdom of our, of our history, there have been rulers who have been just nutty. Why are they there? Sometimes it's because God is, uh, is bringing his plan into play. And we don't get all the pieces of the game. We don't know how it all plays out. But here's what we know. God has established authority. It's part of what we what would consider a common grace. That in the world in which God made, there had to be structure. And so part of his common grace was to give us authorities. Those authorities didn't always honor God. But we are called to honor those authorities under God. That means the way you consider our current president or our former president. And I know as Christians, we have found more of our voice, and I'm glad we have, but unfortunately, we're using it in ways that I think are totally dishonorable. And sometimes part of the, the tension we feel in relationship with God is because we're not properly yielding ourselves or submitting to authorities God has placed over us. This doesn't just apply to a parent-child relationship. This applies to authorities that God has placed over us. And the way we treat them or speak of them should be honorable. Now, I get it. I don't agree with everything that every president in our nation has ever done. I don't have to agree with them to honor them. I'm sure Peter didn't agree with Nero dipping Christians in wax and then putting them on poles and lighting them on fire to light his gardens at night. I'm sure Peter wasn't saying, that's a really good idea, Nero. I'm sure he didn't commend that behavior. But he said, we're to honor the authorities God has placed. So believers should submit because in so doing, we are honoring God. But there will be a time, friends, when honoring God and honoring our government will be at odds, and we always choose by default to honor God. Let me give you an example. In the book of Acts, there was a time that Peter, who wrote this letter, was brought before the religious leaders because he had been preaching Christ, and he was told to stop preaching the name of Jesus. And Peter's response was, we've got to obey God, not men. So there comes a time when, obviously, there will be a decision to make. Peter had to make that decision. Do I bow a knee to the emperor, or do I lose my life? And Peter chose to lose his life in honor of God, not the emperor. So there will come a time when civil disobedience will be called upon for Christians, and we have to do that civilly in ways that honor. Which brings us to the next point, that we should submit to quiet those who are antagonistic to Christianity. In verse 15, it says, For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Submission is a tremendous muzzle. I have ended a lot of Facebook arguments just by saying, we're going to have to agree to disagree, because the more I want to retaliate, the more angry I get, and the less honorable I'm going to be to that person on the other side of my conversation thread. So I can choose to do what is right and honorable. But we don't like to do that as Christians. It's our right to argue. It's our right to get mad and fire off horrifically sounding things to people who are acting like people who don't love God because that may be who they are right now, all right? And, and, and acting in retaliation and hate is not going to change their position, right? But there's something about this idea of submitting that has a way of quieting that. So believers should submit because they're free. Verse 16 says it, that we're free from sin. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Yes, you are free, but you're not free from God or his plans for you. And Peter realizes that true freedom is freedom from sin, and sin enslaves us. And here's what it enslaves us to, pride. 
a desire for our own selfish gain, to bitterness, to unforgiveness. But the one who is truly free to obey God and to love him is also the person who is truly free to love people who disagree with you, who are truly free to love leaders who lead, not like you would do it, but who are leading because at this point God has placed them there. Believers should submit because of the reward. Verse 19, it's commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they are conscious of God. To be submissive is commendable to God. I don't know about you, I want God to commend me for being honorable and for being submissive to the authorities he's placed over my life or the, the relationships he's placed around me in my marriage, in my, in my home, in my work. To commend means to praise, honor, or congratulate. And I want to hear that because God will reward those who submit to authorities, especially harsh authorities, as he did with every martyr who died at the hand of an emperor's command that their life should end if they won't bow to him. How can they do that? How do they do that? How was it that when, when Christians were, were put down into the auditoriums for the Roman population to watch as they were torn apart by beasts, as they were crucified, how were they able to do this? How could these Christians stand honorably under these unjust circumstances? Because they were conscious of God, and they knew God is with me, and God is going to set all things right. That's why they could sing when they were being torn apart by lions, because they were conscious of God that God was with them, aware of his presence. Believers should submit because of the example of Christ, verse 21. And we'll kind of expand on that. But I think it's interesting that right in the middle of all this conversation about relationships concerning government and your workplace and marriages, Jesus is like placed right smack dab in the middle as an example. How dare Peter bring up Jesus right in the middle of how we should submit, right, to our government and, and our family and our workplace. But he does, and he gives us the example of Jesus right there, the pattern that we're to follow set by Christ. Let's look at it. First Peter chapter 2, verse 21 to 25. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. And when they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. In these verses, we see some things about submission I want to give to us quickly. One is the priority of submission, the priority of submission. It says there, right in verse 25, to this you were called. What is the this? A life of submission. It's what we're called to. In fact, in Matthew chapter 8, there are some people who want to follow Jesus. There are some would-be disciples who come to him. And I find it interesting that Jesus doesn't just kind of open the doors and say, hey, come along, the more the merrier. We're going to have a great time together. Instead, he says this, foxes have dens and birds of the sky have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. In other words, you want to follow me, it's not going to be the easiest path you're going to take. And then each one of them kind of has uh, asked for per permission to kind of remain behind until they take care of some personal business. In fact, one says, you know, I want to remain with my father until he dies and then bury the dead. And Jesus tells him to consider the cost and the sacrifice of following him. And the other, he demands that 
he'd be first because the guy said, let me go back and first tend to the fields and things I have, then I'll come follow you. Jesus says, no, you got to put me first because there's sacrifice in following me. And the message of Jesus to his followers was you must be submissive. What did he say? If anyone would come after me, he must what? Deny himself, which is basically what? That's submission. Take up the cross and follow me. Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a remarkable story to read. In fact, I would encourage you to read uh, a great bio- autobiography, it's a biography, of uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer uh, by uh, Eric Metaxas. Great, great writing. He was a Christian in the time of Hitler's reign. And Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote a book called The Cost of Discipleship. And in the opening of his book, he says this, cheap grace is the deadly enemy of our church. We are fighting today for costly grace. Now, let's explain this for a minute, because he's writing this in the time when, when obviously things are going very weird in our world. There's war, there's, there's Hitler with his really kind of jacked up mission, right? And here's Dietrich trying to live out faith in this context. And Peter says that if we call ourselves Christians, then we're to be submissive. And if we think that we can pledge our allegiance to Jesus, but not to submit to him as Lord, then we cheapen the grace of God. And what Dietrich is talking about here is he says the enemy of the church is cheap grace, and he's talking about a lack of submission. Cheap grace. I'm often shocked by people who say to me, I thought following Jesus was going to be easier than this. What they're basically saying is, I thought I could follow Jesus without really submitting. And you can't have it both ways. It cheapens his grace when we think that we're followers without doing what it requires us to do, which is submission. Dr. Stephen Olford made it best this way. He said, if Jesus is not Lord of all, then he is not Lord at all. And that is something I think we can all take to home in our hearts with. Peter says, if you call yourself a Christian, then you're called to submission, and we do not have a choice. It is a call. It's a priority to this you were called. Secondly, we can see the path of submission. In verses 21 to 23, we see the path of it. How does this look? What do, what do submissive lives look like? And Peter kind of defines it without giving a definition. He defines it by giving us an example. He says, let's consider Jesus here for a moment. And according to Peter, submission means I'm not going to retaliate. According to the example, Jesus was, when people hurled insults at him, he didn't retaliate. When he was being beaten, he didn't stop. And to kind of remind you, Jesus had the authority to stop it. He could have summoned the, the angels of heaven. He could, have, he could have summoned the great angel Michael to come and deal with these guys. And with one swift swing of Michael's sword, he could have put to death all the Roman soldiers who came to arrest him, all of the, the, the guards who came to arrest him. But Jesus didn't do that. He didn't retaliate. He submitted to the plan, even when that plan was calling him to a very costly grace. So he says, we're not going to retaliate. We're not going to try to have our own way. And oftentimes what we operate under is the motto that we have in America, especially, but in other parts of the world, get them before they get you, right? Isn't that kind of our, our normal response? Get them before they get you. Make sure you're number one. Make sure you live for yourself first. And in the Old Testament, they had a term for that. It was called the lex talionis, which basically meant the law of the claw. Eye for an eye, a 
a tooth for a tooth. We see this in the Old Testament. This happened, this was the consequence, and it was kind of a a way to keep the consequence even to the crime. The law of the claw. And we still like the law of the claw today. You do this to me, then I'm going to do this to you. And that's kind of how we operate. But then Jesus comes and messes the whole thing up, right? Because in the New Testament, Jesus did that in the Sermon on the Mount. He did that famous thing where he said, well, you've heard that it was said, but I say to you. And this is what he said. You heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, give to the one who asks of you and don't turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Okay, but what if they're mean? What if they can't be trusted? What if they did this already before? Jesus says, we're not going to repay evil with evil. But we repay evil with what? What's he say? With good. How in the world do we do that? We break the law of the claw and we say, Lord, help me to be the submissive person who does not return evil for evil but returns evil with good. That's hard to do, but it's not hard if he is with us, if we're mindful of him. The person of submission we also see then in verse 23, the person. The example of Jesus humbling himself even to the point of death. And you might say, but that's not fair. It wasn't fair for Jesus. There are things that happen in our life that we're called to submit to. And our answer is, that's not fair. You're right. It probably is not fair. But what happened to Jesus was not fair either. In fact, Peter points out that the object of our submission is the God above us, not the person in front of us. That husband, that wife, that boss, that coworker, that government leader, whatever person you want to put in that place, yet they might be the leader in front of you, but we're actually honoring the God above us, the person that we're to submit to. And that's what Jesus did without crying, this isn't fair. In fact, if you have children at home, you know that's like their favorite phrase in the world, right? It's not fair. And somehow you try to explain to your child why it's fair, or how life is not going to be fair, but it seems to be something we don't grow out of very well. As we become adults, we just become a little more sneaky on how we want to carry out our it's not fair, and then how we want to throw our tantrums, rather than throwing ourselves down to the ground and and, and slamming our feet and our fists against the ground because we didn't get that cookie that's not fair. And today, what do we do? We fire off stuff on social media. Or we take somebody to court, or we file a lawsuit, or we demand the whole world bows to our whim, and we throw a tantrum. We, we get a, a political agenda going, we throw a tantrum, because it's not fair. And we become a world where everybody should be able to have fairly treated what they want to do, because it's just not fair. You ever bumped into that yourself? Of course we have. There have been things that have happened in my past that I would say it wasn't fair. And isn't it interesting that we only cry it's not fair when we feel like we're getting the short end of the stick? I don't, I don't recall coming to the altar and experiencing a salvation that I never deserved and saying, God, this isn't fair that you would forgive me this way. Right? We never do that. We don't seem to have a problem with fairness when it comes to God's mercy, which means not giving us what we actually deserve. 
and his grace when he gives us what we don't deserve. We have no problem when it's unfair to God. It cost him his son. It was totally unfair to Jesus to die on that cross for us so we could be forgiven. So when we feel like life's unfair, we need to remember, hey, who's our example? The person of submission was Jesus who faced all of those things unfairly. So the next time you're treated that way, think of Jesus because fairness is about ourselves. But gratitude is about submission. And I can be grateful to God and therefore submit to his plan for my life or to submit to those around me that he has called to be in my life. Then we see finally the purpose of submission. Verse 24, the purpose. Jesus endured his suffering for us. His submission was that which purchased our salvation. I'm so glad he submitted to the Father because I'm a beneficiary of that. And so are you. And Peter tells us to follow that same example of Jesus. As we submit to God, then God can use our example to reach others. In fact, I I think of a story of of a young boy who was plagued with a disease that caused him to become crippled. And his father became very angry at the fact that his son was crippled. And his anger turned to alcoholism. And because he would become totally consumed by the alcohol, he would do things that were totally horrific to his wife and to his crippled son. And in his drunken rages, he would abuse them. He would beat them. He would say all manner of mean and terrible things to them. And they would endure it. But they got to a point where it was hard to endure, and they needed some hope. So they turned to their local church, and they, they, they went and attended service, the mother and the son, and they found their hope in Christ, and they began to pray for the Father. They began to pray. Because every part of them wanted to leave him and wanted to fight back. They began to pray, and they began to entrust themselves to the one who judges justly. Well, one evening, it got, inter- it got terribly bad. The father was, again, drunk. He came home in a rage. And as he was beating his son and beating his wife, he looked at the son and said, why do you sit there and take this? And the son said, because I love you. And God loves you. And somehow those words in that moment awoken that father from his drunken stupor. And he said, I want to know that kind of God. And so he dedicated his life to Christ. How? Through the submission of his wife and his son in very unfair, cruel situations. So they submitted, and that became a testimony to those who were watching. And and Peter makes it very clear that we can live this kind of a life, and in so doing, it is a testimony to those who observe. You know, remember that Roman soldier by the cross? Jesus was being crucified, and he sees all these things happen to Jesus, but then he sees the earthquake, and he sees that this indeed was not just an ordinary man. What does he do? He declares, surely this man is the Son of God. Through all this unjust treatment, the things that he saw, this testimony that Jesus had endured in this Roman soldier, and how many times could that be the same for us? Maybe you have a relationship that's very harsh to you. I'm not sure where. Maybe it's in family or in your workplace or you think about uh, civic government or even national government. 
what if we were just to take the approach of submission? What difference could that make in our testimony? It doesn't mean I have to agree with everything that's being done, but I can submit and honor those people. Here's the thing. The purpose of submission is so that God can change the things around us by changing us and then working through us. I know you don't want to submit. So you begin to pray, God, help me submit to my spouse. Help me submit to this situation at work. Help me to submit. Help me to place myself in a posture of submitting and honoring them. So he begins to do a change in you, right? And then what happens? That begins to change the environment or the context around you. And by so doing, God works through that to others. Maybe you're here today as a follower because you saw somebody who practiced this principle of submission, and it spoke to you, and it's like, that I want. That's what I need. A lot of Roman citizens came to faith in Christ by the way they saw Christians being treated harshly and yielding themselves to that out of devotion to God and love for their fellow man. How can they do that? How could they possibly face these terrible things? I bring you back to verse 23, and maybe this is a verse you need to memorize. That they were entrusting themselves to the God who judges justly. There will be a day, friends, when things will be set right. I know you want it to happen now, or maybe even last week. But judgment is not yours. It's God. The God who calls us to submit, to entrust ourselves to him. Because when I am submitting to the authorities and the people he's placed in my life, I am submitting to him. And that space of submission between God and you and you and your fellow man, that is the domain, just trust me, this is the domain where God works. Where God works. So this new year, I can submit. This new year, you could submit to God over your life and to the relationships he's put around you. It's the hard work of our discipleship of Christian living, but it's well worth it. And we have a culture that needs to see that in us. They will know we are Christians by our hatred, right? No. By our love. How we treat people honorably, even when we disagree. How we can choose to submit not always agree in a way that honors God and honors people around us. This year, you're going to face things that are going to, they're going to call you to either assert yourself or submit. I pray you take the path of submission and trusting yourself to the God who judges justly and will make all things right. Because I'll tell you this, it didn't feel very just for Jesus when he was being nailed to that cross for our sins. But he yielded for the Father's will. Why? So we could benefit. Who around you, friends, will benefit when you get this? When you get this. Maybe you have an unbelieving spouse or an unbelieving family member or an unbelieving parent or coworker. What would happen when we embody this principle? I think the same thing that happened in your life because Jesus embodied this principle. God works in the domain of submitting to him and others. I can't explain to you how it always does it, but that's where God works. 
So let's let him do that by changing us. And in changing us, it has the power to change those around us. And friends, that can reach into government. Certainly, as we live humble lives of submission, let's pray. Father, today, as we consider submission, we know there's something within all of us that cries out it's not fair, that cries out we don't want to do this. But how can we get off the hook? Jesus, you laid the example down for us. Philippians 2, Paul comments on how we're to have the same mindset that you have, Jesus. And he explains what that looked like, that, he, that you humbled yourself even to the point of death. That you submitted yourselves to the hands of those who would treat you cruelly. You submitted yourself to that cross. Why? So we would benefit so we would be changed, that by those stripes we are healed, and how submission can bring healing in our relationships, in our homes, in our marriage, in our workplace, even in our government. So God, I pray you'd help each one of us as we come to this topic of submission to recognize what it is you're calling us to do. Maybe today there are those in this room who say today, I got to submit to God. This is a new time and a new year for me to re state my commitment that I'm going to submit God to your will and your way as I live in this world. And some of you, maybe that's the challenge you feel in your heart. You say, Kelly, pray with me because I'm, I'm, I'm submitting myself anew and afresh to God today. And if that's you, just raise your hand and say, Kelly, that's me. Just pray with me today. Thank you. Anybody else? That's me. I know I need to do this today. I need to resubmit to God because there's no way on earth I'm going to do these other things without submitting to him. Thank you. Let's pray. Father, right now you see the hands and know the hearts of those who've raised their hands. You know those who couldn't yet because they're, you're still working in their heart. But God, I pray they would submit to you. You oppose the proud, but you give grace to the humble, to those who submit. So God, I pray for them because this week, this month, they're going to be called upon to continue to do that. Not just here in a room where it's easy and convenient, but out there in the real stuff of life in the context of the relationships, you're going to call them to be submissive. And God, I pray for obedience in their heart. That through our obedience, through our submission, others can see you. And that's the domain in which you work. And while it doesn't make sense to our minds who want to fight back, who want to retaliate, who want to make our point, God, that's just where you work. And we have to trust you with that. So I think you're going to help us this year to submit. This new year. We can do that, and in so doing, transforms our marriages, our homes, our workplace, our relationships with our friends, even in reaching into our governments. God, help us, we pray. In Jesus' name.